We're wrapping up our Being Reformed series this morning. The last couple weeks, we've talked about how God transforms who we love and how we think. And this morning, we'll be talking about how the Lord transforms, reshapes, renews what we do. We'll be reading from the book of Colossians, as we have been the last couple weeks. We'll read Colossians 3 from verse 1 to verse 17 this morning. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, But Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is God's word for us this morning. A number of years ago, I went on a cadet camporee, a week-long camping trip with a lot of other elementary and middle school kids, and we went to the Canadian Rockies, and there was this one day where our whole day was spent on a hike. We were going to go all the way up to the top of a mountain and come all the way back down. So we started out in the morning all energetic and excited and running around and doing all kinds of things, and the hike started out pretty flat, so we were going along having fun, but then the hike kept getting steeper and steeper as we went along, and we kept getting more and more tired, and it kept getting steeper and steeper, and it was going on and on, and we kind of felt like it was never going to end, and that was about 20 minutes in, and we had another two and a half hours or something to go, and the hill kept getting, kids, you know, the hill, the hill kept getting steeper and steeper, and we were just exhausted, and we were trudging along, and we could hardly put one foot in front of the other, and are we there yet? Are we there yet? And no, we're not there yet. So every now and then we'd stop, we'd take a break, and then for a change of pace, we'd get up, and we'd walk, and we'd walk, and we'd walk some more. And finally, after quite a while, we came to this spot where other groups were sitting down, so we just all flopped down on the ground. And then we looked up, and we had come to a place where the trees cleared, and when you looked up, you saw the Canadian Rockies in front of you, range after range after range. Beautiful mountain upon mountain upon mountain. And all of us were awed by the natural beauty in front of us. 
We hadn't seen it the whole time because we were just trudging along. But when we stopped and we looked up, all of a sudden we saw what a beautiful place we were in. My first point this morning is that we should look up. We should all look up. We spend so much of our lives just trudging along, so much of our lives just looking down at trivial little things and just getting through. But as believers, sometimes we just need a reminder to look up and to look to Christ, to see how glorious He is and to see what He's done for us. Colossians 3 begins by telling us, Since you've been raised with Christ, set your heart on things above and set your mind on things above. Look up to Christ and realize where we've already come. And if we belong to Christ, then we've already begun to acquire the things above. We, if we belong to Christ, we already have new life and eternal glory already belongs to us. And if we belong to Christ, then who we are is defined by who Christ is. Colossians tells us that in some sense when Christ died, we died with him. When he was buried, we were buried with him. And when he rose from the dead, we were raised with him. And so when he appears in glory, we too will appear with him and we will see Christ's glory and we will live in that glory ourselves. Colossians begins with the identity that we have in Jesus Christ, with the status that we already have because we belong to God. And then after that, it moves on to talk about our behavior. It talks about some things we shouldn't do and some things we should do. But notice that these verses don't start by telling us, work really hard so you can get to that certain place. They tell us, you're already there. You already belong to Christ. And so because you belong to Christ, your life is going to look a certain way. But Colossians moves from who we are in Christ to what we do. It's the identity that Christ has already given us that defines what we do. One danger of reading texts like this and preaching sermons on what we do or what we should do is that we might just function on the level of behavior modification. You know, that level of change your behavior. Don't do this. Do that. And certainly that's part of the message here, but it's not really the central, the central thrust. It's not really the central point. Before we get to what we should or shouldn't do, what this text really wants us to do is look to Jesus Christ. Look up and see Jesus and realize that the real life that he gives us is so much more than we could ever get to on our own. Realize that the gifts that Christ gives us are already so much more than we could ever hope to achieve on ourselves, by ourselves. Some people talk about this in terms of the difference between advice and good news. And almost all the religions in the world, almost all the religions in the world are basically advice. You do this to get this result. And the result is different and the process is different for all the, almost all the religions of the world. But it is pretty much this pattern. You do these things so that you get these results. And that's not Christianity at all. Christianity is not about advice. Christianity is about good news. Gospel literally means good news. When we talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we are talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. And the good news is that Jesus has already done everything that is needed for us to be saved. 
Jesus has already given us a new identity. He's already transformed us. And so what we do, what we do is not about earning our way to God. What we do is not about being good enough to get over some sort of bar. What we do flows out of who we already are because of how Christ has worked in us. And so whatever stage of the Christian life you're at this morning, whether you've been in tune for decades and you're just working as hard as you can at every corner of your life, or whether you're here this morning and you're kind of sort of doing what you need to do to get by and think, yeah, I'm probably doing, doing enough. At whatever point you're at, look up. Look up to Jesus. Be, be reminded that the Christian life is not about what we do, first of all. The Christian life is, first of all, about us looking to Christ. And in Christ, we find everything we need. In Christ, we find a life of eternal glory that begins right now. And that life changes what we do even right now. As we look more and more to Christ, we more and more put off the old self. And that's our second point for this morning. As we live out our identity in Christ, we more and more put off the old self. We put to death what belongs to our earthly nature. And our sinful nature, our earthly nature, the things that we need to put off, they're basically competitive. That sinful nature at its root puts us against other people and against the Lord. Colorado National Speedway has this really strange tradition that they call train races. It's a NASCAR speedway every evening that they have some races. They run a number of stock car races and whatever else. And then at the end of the night, they change up the track to a figure eight, and they bring out the trains, and they have train races. And these aren't like railway trains. What these are are sets of three cars. You attach three cars, one, two, three. You put gas and steering in the first car, and you put a driver in there. The middle car is empty, and you put a guy with brakes in the back car. So you've got a train of three cars, driver, brakeman. They get about 12 or 15 together on this figure-eight track, and then they run them until there's only one going. It is like a destruction derby on steroids. It is one of the most frightening and kind of fun things that you might ever see at a racetrack. And of course, you have some cars where the driver's all aggressive and the brakeman is not, so the driver is punching the gas as fast as he can, and the guy in back, you know, he's got steam and sparks coming out of his tires, and everything is going crazy, and there are some drivers who try to get away from conflict, and some that just want to whack everybody they can, even if it wrecks their own car, and it goes on and on. I think they have a set number of laps, but basically how it works out is the trains keep running until there is only one train left running, and it is chaos. It is destruction derby on steroids. It is insane. The earthly nature makes our lives into that kind of train race. The old self, the sinful nature is destructive. It's chaotic. It's out of control. And that's why Colossians tells us to put to death whatever belongs to our earthly nature. And Colossians 3 gives us a couple of what are called vice lists. These are lists basically of things that you should stop doing. We find vice lists in a lot of ancient documents. There are all kinds of people who wrote out, if you, if you want to be a good person, if you want to do this, then stop doing these other things. And the New Testament picks up on that cultural practice, but it changes it. Most other vice lists are about, do this so that you can achieve this goal. Do this so you can be a virtuous person. Do this so you please the gods. But the New Testament, almost without exception, says because you already are this kind of person, because Christ has worked in you, 
Therefore, stop doing some of these things. And those two vice lists that Colossians gives us, they're basically about ways that we wreck our relationship with God and ways that we wreck our relationship with our neighbors. The first list in verses 5 to 7 is focused on things that, that distract us from our ultimate object of worship, that distract us from God. At root, these are different forms of idolatry. It gives us the list, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. All of those things so often pull us away from God and they put something else in God's place. They become an idol. They become what we base our ultimate pursuits on. These are all idols. They are all things that wreck our relationship with God, that drag us away from Him. These, are, these become false gods. And the second list in verse eight, eight, verses 8 and 9 makes the same kind of point, but it looks more toward things that, that wreck our relationship with our neighbors. It lists anger, rage, slander, filthy language, lying to each other. These are all things that drive us to strike out against people around us. These are all things that break our relationships with other people. They're ways that we do damage. They're destructive. And once we get into those patterns, they keep on going and going and going. We see this often in patterns of abuse along with many other sins. Often people who abuse others are people who have themselves been abused and they store up that rage, that anger, that hurt, that humiliation, and they pass it on to the next generation. And on and on and on it goes. Our own pain, our own lack, our own struggles lead us so often to strike out against other people. Sin breeds more sin. Sin drags us away from God. Sin gets us pulled away from other people, and it goes on and on and on. And it is a terrible, hopeless thing. Every time that we sin, we are setting ourselves up against God, and we are acting out against other people. Every time we sin, we're hitting the gas on the destruction derby that is life in this world. And that derby just keeps going on and on and on. There is no hope apart from Christ. Apart from Christ. And Colossians gives us those vice lists to tell us as believers that we don't live there anymore. It tells us not to do those things because we've been set free from them. It tells us that we don't need to strike out against others and we don't need to rebel against God anymore because in Christ we have what we need. And as we look up more and more to Christ, we're more and more healed from the death that sin brings to us. We are more and more set free from the ways of the old self. Our new identity in Christ leads us to put off that old self. And it also leads us, and this is our third point for today, it also leads us to put on the new self. And when Colossians in verse 10 tells us to put on the new self, the way that's phrased, it's telling us really, really to put on Christ, to join with who Christ is, to find our identity in being part of the body of Christ, in being part of this people whom Christ loves so much that he said we belong to him. And from that identity flows a new kind of life. The therefore in verse 12 of our text launches us into a couple virtue lists. Virtue lists are basically the opposite of vice lists. They say you should do this. And virtue lists in the New Testament and here in Colossians are saying look to Christ and see who he's made you to be 
And then this is what that life looks like. And so Colossians tells us to clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, gentleness, humility, patience. Colossians tells us to put on love which binds all those other virtues together in perfect unity. Colossians tells us to let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts because in Christ we are members of one body. And the organizing theme of all those virtues, the thing that brings them together, is that they lead us to focus on other people and not on ourselves. If we're compassionate, we understand others' needs and we we feel their pain. If we're kind, we treat other people how they want to be treated. If we're gentle, we're not too impressed with ourselves and so we're able to go out of our way to care for other people. If we're patient, we give grace to other people. If we're forgiving, we let go of what other people owe us, even though sometimes other people really do really do hurt us, really do owe us. But because Christ has paid our debt, we let go of the debts that other people owe us. And love binds these qualities together. Love is the unifying center, the, the sort of coat you put on that pulls them all together into one. And as those qualities come together, they enable us to really live in the peace of Christ. And that peace enables us to live at peace with God and with other people. Abuja is the capital city of Nigeria, and it's kind of an artificial city. It was built in the middle of nowhere 30 years ago, and so laid out according to this grand master plan, which had some good things and some not-so-good things about it. And one of the not-so-good things they didn't account for was that often they wouldn't have enough power for the whole city. And if you can imagine these wonderful new four, six, eight-lane roads, when there's intersections with electric electric traffic lights, and there's no power, and it's rush hour, and everyone is angry, and they want to get home, and they're sick of it, and you come to this intersection where there's six lanes of traffic, and six lanes of traffic, and everybody wants to go through, it gets terrible. People do this thing where if they can move forward three feet, they move forward three feet. And then this person coming the other direction, well, they can get one car length ahead, so they get one car length ahead. And this person coming this way, they can really get out of, you know, they can shove through and they can move two feet ahead. And this person coming from the other direction, they think if they just keep honking and moving forward, everyone's going to get out of the way. And you have all these cars coming from all these directions and the cars keep piling in. And really pretty quickly, you have this gridlock that is just impossible to sort out. You have 200 cars that are all this far apart on every side. And so you sit there and there's a car in front of you and there's two cars coming at you this way and there's another car going that way next to you and there's three cars behind you who are all honking because they think you should just go. And you're gridlocked, you're stuck. There's nothing you can do. So after a while of that, the Nigerian government came up with people who for some reason ended up being called yellow fever. But they wore these really bright orange vests with kind of yellow tags. And their job, when the power went out, was to go out to these intersections and restore order. And some of these people did not do their job very well. But some of them, the people with forceful personalities who knew what they were doing, they brought order. They could hold up their hands and stop semis. And if someone needed to be moving and they weren't, they would get over there and, get out of here, go, go, and you, stop, and you, And if you saw a good yellow fever person, they could keep 12 lanes of traffic just running and running and running. They made everything work. 
So often in our lives, there's traffic going all kinds of directions. There's competition. There's trouble. There's things that we just can't make work. But the peace of Christ, the peace of Christ comes to our messiness and our craziness and our me-firstness and our destructiveness, and it brings order. Sometimes there's a little bit of a a little bit of a challenge involved there, a little bit of a get moving on this or stop that. But ultimately what the peace of Christ and all these other virtues put together, what they do is they make our lives run smoothly. They bring harmony where there was destruction and discord. The peace of Christ ends this cycle where we just keep on destroying other people and where we keep on acting out against God. And it's only, it's only Christ's work that makes that really possible. Only Jesus can really heal our deepest hurts. Only Jesus can bring dignity to those who have been humiliated and hurt. Only Jesus can heal the damage that we've, that we've inflicted on other people and that other people have inflicted on us. More and more as Jesus works in us, he makes us able to put off the old self and pick up the new self. And in that new self, love and peace, these gifts that only Jesus can really give us, more and more those virtues bring our whole life together and make sense of everything. Now after Colossians talks about peace, it goes on and in verse 14 it tells us to let the word of Christ dwell richly in us as we teach and admonish one another And as we sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in our hearts to God. And I've always thought that's a little bit of a funny thing there, that we're talking about all these virtues, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace. And then all of a sudden we're talking about teaching and admonishing one another. And we're talking about singing. And for me it's always been a little bit hard to see how we get from this to that. But I think what's going on there, I think what Colossians wants us to understand is all those other virtues only work when we're founded on the Word of God. All those other things, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love, peace, those only work when we're rooted and built up in Christ. The more we look up to Christ the more we search his word to see how we should live, the more, that we, the more that we admonish, correct, encourage, disciple each other, the more we find real life. This is not something that we can do on our own. It's something that we need Christ to help us with. But as Christ works in us, we find ourselves more and more being able to and wanting to love God and love our neighbors. This begins, and it has to begin, with the work of Christ. Jesus gives us a new identity, and that new identity transforms everything that we do. As we set our hearts and minds on things above, as we look up to Christ, we are more and more transformed. As Christ works in us, we're delivered from the chaos, from the destruction derby of life, and brought into peace. It's significant that in this sermon series, we didn't start with what we do. We started with who we love. Because really, the important thing is not, first of all, what you do. 
You know, the, first, the important thing isn't, first of all, who you love. The important thing is who loves you. And the answer to that question is God himself. In Jesus Christ, when we were broken and destructive and just out there and out of control, Jesus came and he died for us. And he rose again to give us new life. Because God loves us, he comes and he transforms who we love. And then as we come to love the Lord more, we also come to love our neighbor more. And that transforms how we think. It transforms how we plan. It transforms all the things we think of in this life. And that overflows then, today, into what we do. And because God loves us and we respond by loving Him, then our lives look different. Not always perfectly so, but as God works in us more and more, what we do is transformed to be like Him. As we put on Christ and Honestly, all of us make just the very smallest beginnings of this in our lives. But as we put on Christ, as we seek His ways, as we grow in His love and His peace, more and more our lives come to look like Christ. And that is the glory that we are promised, that someday, someday, somehow, perfectly, we who belong to Jesus will perfectly reflect His glory. We will be something like the kind of person that he is. We will, we will live lives that are so good that there is nothing wrong with them. We will live lives where we love God and our neighbor with everything that we have. That is the greatest life we could ever hope for. And in Christ, even now today, we begin to have that life. And so because we are God's dearly beloved people, May we do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, giving thanks to the Father through him.